morning. If we can all find a seat, that'd be great. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We're putting together a, a special committee uh, to deal with the issue of Eric Wayman. I had nothing to do with it. Nothing. I knew nothing about it. That's all I can say. That's all I, all I have to say. Boy, we're starting a series that we walk through in January, and we normally do this, where we discuss the issue of our values. What are our values? What are the things that we value highly here at Lighthouse? And we put that set of values into an acronym, so we L-I-G-H-T. And last week, uh, Pastor Eric talked about the issue of love and discussed our purpose within it that we need to identify and clarify, at least to ourselves, our life's purpose, what God has set us aside for, how we're to carry that out, how it comes into being. So all those ideas and thoughts that he shared last week be helpful. You can go online and, and get that message, or you can get the CD from last week out on the uh, foyer there. But today what I want to talk about is the next line in that light thing, and that's the word I that we refer to as inviting, inviting. And Lighthouse, we want to be an inviting church. And there's a dual statement on that. It's dealing not just with the idea of being a place that people want to come to, so it's inviting in that sense, that it's somewhere you actually want to come. So we will no longer do happy birthday and weird things with pastors and things along that end. Especially in October, Ken. Make sure that doesn't happen in October. Because we'd like for people to want to come here to be... This is an inviting place. But secondly, that you actually are involved in inviting others to come and be a part of this process by which we find ourselves becoming more like Christ and that our worship services are one that encourage us to not only identify with Christ but actually to interact with Him and to experience Him on this Sunday service style of structure. I think we all understand that the church is not a building. Everybody gets that, right? And the church is not a building, so it's a misnomer when we talk about inviting people to church. You can't invite someone to church because the church is the body of Christ. You are the church. And this is the place where the church meets at. So when we invite people, we want to invite, hey, we'd love for you to come and, and to share with us and be involved in this service that we have where we discover more about ourselves and about how God works in our lives and the church meets together to discover that. So the word for church is the word ecclesia, and it literally means called out. It means called out. And that picture is that Jesus talks about the church, and he's referring to those who have been called out or chosen by God. So when we refer to the church, it's the chosen one. So you can turn to the person next to you and say, you're the chosen one. Then they make you feel good. I feel like Kenu Reeves or something. You're the chosen one. And it's an interesting God chose us and called us out. But then, as is always true of all chosen ones, is we have a responsibility that takes place as a result of that. Because God chooses us and calls us out. He provides us with certain abilities and gifts, and he expects us to be involved in using those. But today, the value focus that I want to have is for us to have a better understanding of what it means to be a church, body of Christ, that's inviting that's inviting. Now, let's all stand, and we're going to read this special verse for us today. It's a short one. Everybody stand. 
And we're going to read this all together. And it says simply this. Well, it isn't up there yet, but it should have been. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So say that with me. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Okay, now you can be seated. That wasn't so hard. Got a little more circulation going there. You are the light, or the word light could actually also be translated fire. You're the fire for the world. You're the light for or of the world. And the picture is that the church itself is so special that it should be standing out in a world of darkness is the place of light. It's the place that you're drawn towards. It's a place of invitation and a place that's inviting. I desire to be there. That's where you're searching for, where you want to get. That's the picture that Jesus is trying to present to us here. We are called to be the church. We're not called to go to church. We're called to be the church. And we gather together here to come to a better understanding of who God is and how he desires to work in our lives. Because you are the light. See, the question is not whether you're the light or not. He said, you are the light. The question is whether or not you will shine, whether you allow your light to enable others to see who God is, to see what life is about, uh, to help them understand that I know where I'm going and that I'm not stumbling in my walk and my direction in life. I actually have a clear directive in relationship to life itself and its purpose and the interaction with people around me. That one of my callings is to be a person who loves other people and that God desires to continue to build up that area in my life. Where a reclamation project is the church. We're called to bring back God's people who have fallen away, those who were in darkness, to bring them back, to bring them to an understanding of who it is so they can experience the presence and the power and the protection of God. And that's who we're called to be. And God said, you have that ability to do that. When we're light, we find ourselves experiencing on a regular basis the very presence of God. We experience the protection of God. We experience the power of God as long as we are choosing to be light. The cry of Jesus is to help us understand how we can build our lives on a rock. And that passage about the rock is referring to a set of values, a set of truth, that as we live on those things and live in that way, we will experience truth and reality and find ourselves regularly encountering God in our life structure in our families, with our friends all around us. So in Scripture, the term light refers to at least two primary ideas. One is intellectually. The light speaks about truth. So when it says that you are the light of the world, it means you are someone who has truth. God has provided that for you. Wondrous thing, in the Word of God, we have true truth. And we get so used to experiencing truth that we think everybody else has it as well, and that's simply not true. They don't. They are in darkness. They are unable to experience, to understand, or even comprehend what truth is. So that's the cry of Pilate. And that's the cry of the world, which was, what is what? Truth. What is truth? That's his cry. And Jesus says, I am the way, the life, and the truth. I came into the world that people might know what truth 
is and might no longer be deceived by the darkness and doubt and find themselves without faith and constantly encountering failure. You see, our world desires for us to believe that we're innately good and that we're getting better. But the Bible teaches us that we are innately sinful and that we need correction and direction on a regular, consistent basis. So the second aspect of of light is that the moral aspect in relation to, to what is good or what is right. So the Bible not only teaches us intellectually about truth, but also teaches us morally about what is right and what is good. And those are two areas in which we as the church are to be light in the world. And when we fail in that, then we fail to be that which God has called us out to be. So when I say we need to be an inviting church, what I mean by that, first of all, is that we are a church that is connected with truth, both morally and intellectually. And then when people come to us, they say, wow, when I come here, I discover truth presented both personally, one-to-one, and intellectually as we listen to God's word being presented to us. I think the fallacy of this world's ideas about man's innate goodness is probably most clearly seen, as I was watching this the other day, the last words to JFK, John Kennedy, as he was seated in the car, waving to his crowd in Dallas, Texas, and his friend said to him, They love you, John. Isn't it obvious? And then the shot rang out. And that's the world's cry of what love is and isn't, what truth is and isn't, and the inability to grasp that. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world. There is no other light. There is no other way. There is no other truth. You are it. The purpose of darkness is to hide. The purpose of the light is to find. So we say, I once was lost, but now I am found. That's the cry. We go, oh, it's amazing. I was found. It doesn't say anything about me. It says about the one who drove me in, called me out, and I discovered light. Wow. What an incredible experience. So one of our jobs as light is to be aware of those who are in darkness and to show them how to come into the light, to show the lost how to be found. As we would to anybody else that's out in cold or darkness or struggling, we'd open the door and say, come on in. We wouldn't say, I'm sorry, there's not enough room. I know you're going to freeze to death tonight, but that's not my problem. No, the church says you are to come in. You are to discover the wonder, the majesty, the power, the presence, even the protection of God. So when we call ourselves to be an inviting church, there's a two-pronged value there. One is that we are an inviting person. And secondly, that we are an inviting place, a place where people desire to be a part of and to be uh, involved in. So this value aspect of here, see, if we want to value light, if we truly value light, then there must be changes in us that are identifiable by our actions or else we find ourselves being worthless. Watch this clip that maybe identifies it in an interesting way. The struggle, we find ourselves as the church being vilified by the world that's saying, 
you guys are worthless. You declare something that's simply not true. So therefore, I reject anything and everything you have to say. Now, sometimes that's not fair, but sometimes it's absolutely fair. You see, we're called to be the light of the world, but if we choose not to be light, and at the same time declare to be light, then the truth is not in us. And it's definitely not verified through us. We're not inviting at all. We are worthless. And that's the cry of Jesus. He said, you're no good anymore. The only thing you're good for is to be thrown into the wood fire and burned up. So the cry is we're called out to be something. And first of all, we need to realize this. I am the light. Everybody say that with me. I am the light. Now, you may not like the fact that you are, but you are. I'm not always comfortable with that, but I always am that. God calls me and he says, you are the light of the world. You're to be invitingly. The church is to reflect the light of God to the world. And when we are healthy in our responses to each other, the world sees it and says, what is going on? Why is the church so different than everybody else? What is happening there? When we're inviting, we literally declare God's presence with us as others see his protective power through our supernatural unity. Through our supernatural unity. And that's what happens. And and let me say this, first of all. This church is supernaturally unified. Amazing what God has done here and what he continues to do on a regular process. We are supernaturally unified. And if people come to this church and experience the people within it, they will experience the presence of God proclaimed through our unity one to another and our desire to continue to be involved in that unification process. You see, God gives us protection. God gives us protection so that we can be unified. God doesn't protect you just because he likes you. All right? That's not the point. God protects us in order that we might be unified. So Jesus says it this way. I will remain in this world no longer. So now we know that it's at the last days that he speaks these words. But Father, they are still in the world. So I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So they may be one as we are one. The prayer of protection is so that we might be unified. That is his point. He's not praying for protection so that we can feel good or so we can have all the goods. The prayer for protection is so that we might be unified. And he recognizes how incredibly difficult that is in the world that we live in. He prays that God will enable us to learn to walk together. And that our unity depends on his protection. That it will be a supernatural process. It's a preserving thing, not a guarding thing. It's a preserving process. It's the idea that God will keep us from spoiling. Not that he's going to keep us from being hurt. The name that Jesus refers to is a simple name called I am. The name you gave me, I am. Yahweh. He's saying that the name that you have, the name that you gave me, is the same. 
I am. And it's speaking of unity. It's speaking of being one. That they may be one as we are one. So the name that Jesus is referring to is this I am unified name. So we're called out by God so that we might be a community. We might be a community that shows God's presence. Paul talks about it in Romans when he says this, Christ made us one body and individuals who are connected to each other. Okay, turn to the person next to you and say, we're connected. Yeah, some of you more than others you're thinking, I know. We're connected. You see, we are connected and we identify that connection within this ball body of believers here. So as I know you and I identify with you, I strengthen that connection with each one of you and you each one with one another. And that's the calling of the church to build, to identify, to be involved in this connection process. See, the question is not, are we connected? The question is, will we keep connected? So you have a picture of Lego figures that are put together and hooked together to make something special. And then somebody walks up and kicks it down, and it falls apart. And his cry is, I pray that you might keep connected that you'll continue to recognize the connection that God has given them. Supernatural unity. But that supernatural unity must be stimulated on a regular basis with specific actions, or it will begin to break down. Because the Lego picture is a false one. The Lego picture is an idea of somebody that is not connected organically. They're only connected physically. And God says you are literally an organic connection. That I'm connected to you in a very supernatural manner, that you and I are one, despite the fact that I may not desire or want that. He says, Father, protect them by my name. Protect them by thy name. Paul goes on to say, we need to look out for one another's interests, not just our own. That's another aspect of this unity that's within us. He says, because you are one, you must look out for each other's interests, not just your own. You need to recognize the needs of others around you. So one of the elements of unity is a commitment from me to watch you, your stuff. I'm committed to watch your stuff and to make sure that it's kept safe. Oftentimes we'll go somewhere with friends of ours and they'll say, oh, I need to go over here. Will you watch my stuff? Yeah. I'll say, well, sure. And they leave and I say, forget that, Jack. No, I stay there, and when they come back, their stuff is there. And they say, thanks so much. And he says that one of the aspects of community is that we choose to watch one another's stuff. I recognize that's my calling to you. I'm called to watch your stuff. And when I fail to do that, then I mess up. I went on a trip to uh, Nigeria, and, and uh, it was oh, it was forever flight. And on the flight, Glenn gave me this special equipment and I hooked it around my waist and it was all this special stuff for a camera stuff and, and I'm, I got this all around me and we sat down at the airport in one spot I think we were about 16 hours in or something and I said I had, and I unbuckled it bad idea so I unbuckled it and I'm, we're sitting there talking and I got up and walked around and he didn't watch out for my stuff 
I didn't keep watching his stuff. And the result was I left that at the airport in, in Dubai. Do not leave stuff in the airport at Dubai. <laughs> Don't do it. Because as Glenn told me after we got back, it's gone, Lee. And I called him up. They said, oh, we've got it right here. And he looked at me and he said, it's still gone. <laughs> and, you know, it ended up happening. After we got back, we went through all the stuff trying to find it. It was gone. Never got it. Never got it. And I was irresponsible, you see. And that hurt our unity. But he got over it. <sighs> I never did. I still remember it. You probably forgot. Well, maybe not. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, why did I bring that up, Lord? Why? That wasn't in my notes. That was not there. Ah, We're called to look after one another's stuff. That's a part of being united. We make sure that the other person doesn't lose something as a result of our lack of responsibility, commitment, communication, connection. See, the idea is that you know the other person well. There used to be a, a show out called The Newlywed Game. Anybody ever see The Newlywed Game? Several of you old ones have seen it. And one of the big things was they'd ask them all these questions that you're supposed to know. And inevitably, the husbands didn't know. It was amazing the stuff they didn't know. So I'm going to help you guys right now. Okay. One of the things that often ask is, what, simple, what is your wife's favorite color? Okay, what is your spouse's favorite color? Turn to the person next to you and find out what is their favorite color. Find out what it is. Person next to you, just, what is your favorite color anyway? What's your favorite color? Okay, so you just, now it's not taking you that long to find out what their favorite color is. Come on now. So my favorite color is blue. That has to be my wife's favorite color too, but that's my favorite color. So I said, that color is one that I like the most. And I've become very fond of brown and tan lately. I don't know what that is about, but, but I've become fond of that. So what we do is we know one another well enough that we're able to look out for one another's interests. We also know each other well enough so we know what special abilities each of us have. So I know many of you, and I know many of your abilities. And so when I run into trouble with my car, for instance, I might go to Clint Calkin and say, Clint... What happened to my car? And he walks in and he goes, this is what's wrong. And I go, man, how did you do that? Well, he has a special ability. I don't have that ability. You know, Blum has the ability, Jeff Blum, same thing. It has the mechanical awareness thing. They go, oh, yeah, this is what it is, Lee. And I go, how did you know that? I just do. I've studied it. That's why I've been involved in it. Okay, other people have different special abilities. So we see some of these beautiful stuff and banners and all this stuff. And Anne puts together all these special things all Christmas long. And she has a special ability. So we get her to do these things. And what we try to do is we try to recognize the abilities God has given us and then put people into position so they can do those things. And we support them in those areas. So we're involved in this commitment to watch out for one another's stuff, not just stuff stuff but stuff in the sense of who we are and awareness of what we are. And the second element that I, that I see in this issue of, of connection is that we're motivated by the Spirit of God, not by ourselves. We're motivated by the Spirit of God, not by ourselves. that promotes unity within us. So Galatians 5.16 says, Live freely, animated, motivated by God's spirits. If you had an NIV there, it would say that you need to live by the fruit of the Spirit, not by the fruit of the flesh. 
then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. Something I've noticed, my favorite person is me. (laughs) And every time I try to deny that, I come back to reality. I'm my favorite person. Someone said the other day about prayer, they said, you know, Lord, I'm not much, but I'm all I ever think about. (laughs) I went, man, he got me. He got me. Selfishness is inherent within us. And the only way we get out of selfishness is to specifically choose not to be involved in this selfish process. So he says, don't live according to selfishness. Instead, live freely according to God's Spirit. Allow the fruit of the Spirit to flow through your life of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these things we're to allow to come out of our lives. We're to live by those things rather than by myself. I need to live freely, not selfishly or self-centeredly. That's a difficult thing to do because I naturally am self-centered. That is my natural process. So I have to step outside of that and allow God to do something supernatural and allow me to live Freely, And this third element in this area of, of unity is a, the priority in my life is God's profit, not mine. The priority in my life is God's profit, not mine. Now, I wish I was doing all these things all the time. I'm not, but I'm supposed to be. That's what light is. So this third element, whatever we do, it is certainly not for our own profit, but because Christ's love controls us. You see, suddenly things become not about my profit, it becomes about God's profit. What is God telling me to do in this given situation? How can I respond in faith to this situation, the antithesis of selfishness? I learned to be generous and share. The word atheist says here, which means to hold us together, hold us together. That means love controls us. It holds us together. And as we love one another in unity, we're held together by the love of Jesus. So this first aspect of being identified as a church that's inviting is about connection. It's about God supernaturally protecting us as we choose to be and to stay connected by unifying actions. So that's the cry of Christ. He says, first of all, I pray, Father, they might be unified, that they'll be involved in these special actions, one to another, and they'll supernaturally experience your power and your protection as they do that. And then he goes on. And he moves into the second part of the prayer of protection, and that's about commitment. It's about commitment, that we can stay committed in the midst of persecution and false presentations in doubt. So if the first element of being inviting is about connection, so people say, I want to be part of that family is a term we use. So they look at this church, they go, these are people who love one another. I want to be part of that. I want to be friends here. I want to be involved in that process. The second part is about commitment, support. It's the element of trusting God and one another with commitment. So not only do I want to be connected with you, but I want to be committed to you. So Jesus says, while I was with them, committed and connected, 
I protected them and I kept them safe by that name you gave me. My prayer, Lord, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil. Now, some of your translators say the evil one. I think I even put that in this translation in your, in your outline. But literally, the translation is protect them from the evil or the system that is around them that's trying to pull them into darkness instead of allowing them to continue to be light. So we are involved in this prayer that God gives to us. And let's, let's watch this Lord's Prayer before we pray it together. Let's stand. Let's all stand. We're going to pray this prayer together. Let's stand as we do this. Okay, because you've got a chance to be aware of it's, what it is and how it's going on. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us. Continue to make us aware of how we can be a church that is inviting, a church that is connected, a church that is committed to you and to one another. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to continue with this thought process. As we get, Pete was ready to come up here and jump on. I go, no, 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 not yet. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Okay. So the first half, <laughs> got that? The first half of being invited is that we are community and connected. And others look at us and they see the love of God flowing through our lives. The second aspect of being inviting is the committed, committed, a protection to commitment. I got your back. I'm not going anywhere. So verse 14 speaks to the issue of protecting us with truth, protecting us from lies and from false ideas. That's a protection that God gives us in this area. He says, I'll protect you from lies and from false ideas. Lord, let them know your truth. So we're called out to be committed to handle the truth that God has given us. Now, I love this section out of Isaiah when it's referring to Israel and then secondly to the church when he says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they won't overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God. This is a simple reminder by God to us that he is committed to us. He will not leave us when trouble comes. That when we are about the business of being the church, connected and committing, then God is with us. I am. I will be. I always have been. So the cry in terms of commitment, first of all, in this sense of community, says you must make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. Now, here's the first truth that he's laying out to us that we must understand as a church and that we consistently fail to get. That's this. We are all still prone to sin. How many of you are sinners? Okay, thank you. And, uh, and the rest of you are what? Liars, Liars exactly. 
so we get it. We understand this. And that's the cry of commitment. See, I'm not committed to you because you don't sin. I'm committed to you because you're part of the church. We are one. So I'm committed to you. It's not a question of how good you are. It's a question of when you fail, will I continue to be with you and support you? Because you will fail. He says you need to make allowance. You need to make allowance for each other's faults. He's simply saying you need to be aware that each of you are sinners and the result of that is that you will be involved in sin. And some of you are a pain in the neck. Some of you are a pain in the butt. But we're all a pain. All of us. And at various times, we need to put up with the pain. We're committed one to another. Now, I married Mary, and I recognized that she was perfect the day I married her. This next day, I recognized she wasn't. And she still recognizes that I am perfect. Well, what can I say? So we recognize that we're all sinners. And the pastor's a sinner as well. And that we are people who are overcoming our sin and we're enabling God to make us light. And you must make allowance for that. He doesn't say you just need to put up with it. You need to make allowance for it. Remember it's there. Confront it when it comes in. Deal with it. Help them to overcome and then continue to move on. It's a picture of... uh, Some of you have AAA cards. Why do you have AAA cards? Because accidents happen. Cards break down. So we make allowance for that. And we, those of us who are wiser, sorry that you guys don't have it, those of us who are wiser have some type of insurance. Okay, D would say, good move. Okay, insurance that when this breaks down, we are covered for that. We've made allowance for it. I've been paying every month, recognizing that one day I'm going to need help, and all I have to do is make a phone call. And they instantly come out and they fix my tire or they give me a jump or they provide me with a battery or they put gas in, whatever it is, because I've made allowance for it. He says, the same way you one to another need to make allowance for one another. And then he goes on to say, not only do you need to make allowance for one another's faults, this broken personality syndrome where we all become rude or we, we make incorrect statements or we act in ways that are inappropriate, with our broken personality, this general sin picture, but also because of offenses. And these are specific sins where I stole from you or I lied to you or I... You can fill in the blank. To different degrees of brokenness. And he says, you must forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive the person who offends you. So forgiveness is to let go of the pain and the right to get even, and to give up the need to change you by giving you pain. And that's difficult. But that is the cry of God in our life. Look after each other, he says. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Look out... As you see others who are not forgiving as they should, call them to that. Say, you need to forgive them for that. You can't stay here. You need to deal with this issue. Or bitterness will grow up in you and you will become the very person that you dislike more than anybody else. You will become that person 
that bitter, bitter person because you've allowed your root to stay in that spot and you're no longer reflecting the light of God. You're not committed and you're not connected. And that's the cry of God to each one of us in our lives. Someone says, how do you deal with this? I saw a great illustration the other day. Two customers walked into a Cracker Barrel. Why anyone would go to Cracker Barrel, I don't know. That's not true. I like Cracker Barrel. Anyway, but they came into the restaurant. They asked to be seated with the grumpiest server that they had. And the restaurant host said, we don't really have any grumpy servers in our restaurant. Sure, you don't. Okay? But they did have the happiest server. So they seated them with the happiest servers, 18-year-old Abigail Sailors. And after seating them down, the two people listened to her life story, which included a mother incapacitated by a car crash, a father incarcerated for abuse, a horrible foster care experience for herself and her four siblings. But she finally found a forever home with John and Susie, now her last name, Sailors, about five years before when she was 13 years old. Currently, she said she was attending North Dakota's Trinity Bible College. It's cold out there. Okay, she majors in psychology and youth ministry and participates in basketball. But she said, I wasn't sure how she's going to attend the next semester since she was paying her own way and she was pretty much out of money. So she's going to have to work for a little longer to save up her money. And one of the customers who happened to be, God always says this stuff, a Trinity alumni, proceeded to pull out his checkbook and write out a check for $5,000 and said, This is for your tuition. They also gave her another $1,000 as a tip. Now, what was going on here was a recognition of calling and connection and provision. You see, God calls us to be connected to one another. He calls us to be committed to one another. And he gives each one of us different ways in which we get to do that. Some of us have more finances. I encourage you, use your finances to build connection and commitment. Don't use it to just buy stuff. Don't do it. Be the light of of the world. That is the cry to God in our life. Be committed, be connected, declare His light one to another. If we're to be an inviting church, those are the types of stories that should be being told about Lighthouse. Wow, when this happened, this is what happened. When that happened, this is how they responded. Because we are called to be something special. And that calling is to be an inviting church church. We don't have time for the second part. So we're going to get that one later. All right, but right now, let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Father, it is such a wonderful thing to be light, to have the opportunity to be a conduit for you, that we can experience supernatural change when we reflect your calling in our lives. And so we would ask that today that you might enable us to be answers to that prayer that Jesus gave when he said, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Lord, we are the light of the world. And we would ask that here in this church body, we might clearly, clearly present your light as people that are connected as people that are committed one to another that we might truly be the church because that's what it means so we ask that that might be who we are 
And we ask that in Jesus' wonderful and glorious name. Amen. Amen. You guys got a little final thing on your outline there. It's got three things that I would encourage you, especially even this entire month. And that is that you pray daily about God's plan for you. How does God desire for you to be light? How can you connect? How can you declare commitment? Uh, And secondly, that you might pick out a verse for this year. One verse that stood out. Maybe it's in the section that we got here. Maybe it's another area. But one verse for this year. That you're saying, this is is something that I recognize God desires me to get a hold of. So say, this is going to be my verse for this year. Now, I know you can do one verse a month. I don't want you to do one verse a month. Just one for this year would be great. And then last of all, share with somebody when you get a chance about what it means to be the church as opposed to go to church. Share with somebody because they don't understand this, what it means to be the church as opposed to going to church. Okay, would you guys do that? Raise your hand if you say, I'm going to do one of these things. Okay? Good, good, good. Thank you. Wonderful. So just do one of them and allow God to minister to you in a powerful way as He desires to. Right now we're going to do our song. We're going to think about those things we've been learning. We're going to take an offering. And Bob, why don't you wait to the second song before we take the offering. So the first song, we're just going to kind of listen and sing along with it and let God speak to you about the things that He's been teaching us.